I'm Sonia Morton Firth and you're tuned in to the Sonia Morton Firth Show. Today my guest is Andrew Block, founder of Andrew Block and Associates. Andrew is an expert in PR and responsible for a number of renowned publicity campaigns. He's also the official spokesperson and PR advisor to Lord Sugar. Watch this interview to get some insights on why PR is so important to help you increase visibility, especially in the world we are living in right now. Andrew, thank you so much for being a guest on my show today. Uh, it's lovely to see you, to meet you again. We last met at the summit. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Sonia. Thanks for having me. Um, before we get started, because there's lots of questions I'd like to ask you um, around PR uh, and talk more about that, um, but it'd be great to hear about your background and really specifically what got you into PR in the first place. Yeah, of course. So, well, I've been in PR for uh, 25-ish years now. Um, I, I actually fell into PR by accident. Um, Originally, I wanted to go into advertising, and whilst I was sort of going through the process of graduate applications and so on, which is quite an arduous process, I got a bit bored, and someone suggested to me, why don't you try PR? So I wrote to a load of PR companies, being honest, not really knowing even what PR was. I got offered a work placement at an agency called Lynn Franks, um, which, which was the agency that Absolutely Fabulous was based on, and pretty crazy Oh, I, rem I remember that series. Was it really like that? I mean, obviously, if I think of Ab Fab, I'm thinking yeah. of Patsy getting drunk all the time and it being really full on. It was some of the best days of my life. It was completely mad. And I sort of walked in on my first day wearing a suit, looked like a complete idiot because everyone was sort of dressed in these crazy outfits. And I remember coming back after my first day and I... I couldn't quite believe that this was a job. You know, it was so much fun. It was so vibrant, so many young people, so much energy. And I wasn't being paid. It was a kind of three-week work placement. And I, I absolutely loved every second of it from the moment I walked through the door. And they offered me a job at the end of it. And, and I took it. And that was how my PR journey began. And I ended up staying there for five years. Um, at which point, um, a guy who was the MD of Lynn Franks at one point, who'd, who'd left, um, said to me, do you feel like setting up a PR agency? And the short version of the story is I said yes. And we started Frank. And Frank is now 20 and a bit years old. Um, grew the agency to a pretty successful agency with offices around the world representing some of the biggest brands that were out there had a brilliant journey and at the beginning of last year i decided that 20 years in it was a good time for me to step back move into a non-exec role with the agency and free my days up basically so that i could do other stuff what made you take that decision last year i think I mean, I hate to say I was bored because when you run an agency, it's completely and utterly relentless. Um, and I thrived off, off that. And, I, and there was no day that was the same. And that's a bit of a cliche, but I, I just, there was something in me that felt 
I needed a new chapter and wanted to try something different. And when you're running an agency, it's pretty all-encompassing and you, you meet lots of people, you see lots of opportunities in a business context, but you don't have the chance to put your energy into them, either because you can't do it because you're in a full-time job, or you just don't have the time or mental capacity to, to take something on board. And I was seeing all these interesting things. I've always been pretty entrepreneurial. And I just felt like I wanted to do something different. And the agency had, had grown up. There's a brilliant team, still is a brilliant team that's running it. Not that it didn't need me, but I could see that if I was to step aside, it wasn't going to collapse. You know, we were in a good place. We were growing, winning lots of clients, doing some absolutely brilliant work. So I felt quite comfortable knowing that everything would be fine and it would continue to prosper. And, and actually, if I'm being honest about it, perhaps go in a, a different direction that it wouldn't have done underneath myself and, and the other founder because for an agency to evolve and to keep staying relevant and to keep doing good work, it, it needs sometimes to do things differently. And looking back now, because that was, that was last year, I believe that was in lockdown one, we're now in lockdown three. Uh, do, do you think that was the right decision or do you feel that that was the right decision for you? It was absolutely the right decision. I think um, from a really selfish point of view, I'm grateful I haven't had to deal with the shit of the last six months. And, and running an agency during a pandemic is tough. You know, you've got to keep your staff motivated, deal with the fact that you've got people, you know, all around the world that can't be together physically you've got clients that come from a diverse range of industries some well all of who are affected some you know in a pretty devastating way when they're in travel or tourism or retail others who have had to pivot or adjust to survive and to thrive and that is really really tough and i haven't had to deal with that on a day-to-day -day basis and actually having started up something completely from fresh, which ended up, you know, I, I launched my new consultancy in, in May. So right in the middle of the pandemic, I guess the benefit of that is that I've attracted clients who are seeing opportunities in what's going on, wanting to grow, having the financial resource to invest um, in terms of taking themselves forward. And in a way I've sort of escaped the misery of working with businesses who are having a really, really difficult time. So yeah, it was the right thing to do. I didn't always know that. You know, when, I've, when you've had a decision in your head for you know, a couple of years and you choose a moment to do it, which for me was the start of 2020 without having a clue of what was about to hit us. Um, you know, there was moments, oh shit, I'm like, what have I done? Like, this got to be the worst time to do anything, but now, sort of six months on, I look back and I think, you know, actually, there couldn't have been a better time to do something new. Just, just, uh, just talking about COVID because we can't have an interview without talking about COVID. Oh, oh, oh. It's just, it's just that unsaid word. It's like the elephant in the room. How do you think this is going to affect the 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 PR industry with thinking about businesses and where they're putting their money right now? Well, PR's pretty resilient, and, and that's been seen through numerous recessions and 
ups and downs in the economy. I mean, this is, you know, to use that word, unprecedented, and no one's seen anything like this. But, you know, what ER can do is really guide an organisation through difficult times, both internally and externally. And I think PR has been a lot tougher and more resilient than people perhaps expected. And what most agencies have, have seen is, you know, that period last year in the, in the early days of, of the pandemic, March, April, May, which were pretty horrific and clients sort of panicked, pulled spend, reduced spend, cut campaigns. And then, you know, once people could see that this was something that wasn't going away overnight, they realized they needed to adapt their communications and they need help. They, they need help to communicate effectively to drive their business in, in the right direction. And that's where PR's really helped. And I think, you know, when you look at brands and organizations that have performed well over the last six months, it's the ones that have communicated consistently, that have adapted their messaging to sort of meet the, the tone and the mood of the nation, which, you know, does change day by day, week by week. Um, and they're the ones that haven't just put their head in the sand and, you know, waited for everything to go away. So PR's benefited from that. Of course, there's sectors of the PR industry that have really suffered. You know, if you specialise in an area like travel, like hospitality, events, you know, it, it's pretty hard to find your way out of that. But agencies that are more general and have diversified their, their offering to fit and suit a range of different organisations and industries, I think, you know, generally most of them have fared pretty well, especially when you look at other areas of, of the marketing industry, which have been less fortunate. I mean, PR to me, and I'm, I'm not an expert on PR, but it seems to encompass quite a wide range of, of, of different things these days. I mean, if I think about traditional PR, it was, you know, magazine ads, TV ads, uh, that sort of thing. And, and now, obviously, we've got the whole digital age um, that encompasses all the different sort of social media sites. If you were looking um, or if you were talking to a brand, which I'm sure you do, given the situation we're all going through, are there areas of, of PR communication that you would say are um, uh, a better, more advantageous with what we're going through, given that we can't do face-to-face, -face, et cetera? Yes, I mean, it's, it's a good question. I, th I think, you know, really, it's not just specific to what's going on at the moment, but in general, I would always advise a company, you've got to look at what your return on investment is with PR or any form of marketing. There's no point doing PR for the sake of PR. There has to be a business outcome in terms of what you're trying to achieve. Um, probably you know, the biggest development for any form of marketing in recent years is, is what's happening online. And at the moment, more so than ever, we're spending so much time online. So any form of PR that can drive hits to your website or can build links and traffic to where you want people to go to and ultimately get them to purchase your product is going to be a great great use um, i think the type of pr that is suffering a little bit more is brand building and stuff that doesn't have that direct impact on sales you know whereas in the past you know big budgets have been out there and companies have perhaps been 
less concern with direct impact on sales. When times are tough, you know, everything has to have a return. So any PR agency that can demonstrate that what they're doing has a direct impact on a business benefit for a company is going to do well. And generally the agencies that have been doing the best mm. are the modern PR agencies, the ones that understand how to build a brand online and, and deliver sales and, and a return on investment in that way. You know, the, the old-fashioned style of PR is, is pretty much died out. And how do you, you know, with, um, with what we're going through now with COVID, how do you see us coming out the other end? And in terms of, of, of the PR industry, do you see, see it shifting in some way? I mean, we've got this word <laughs> that I'm not quite a fan of, but businesses are pivoting left, right and centre, this word pivot. In what way do you think the PR industry will pivot? after COVID or is it pivoting at the moment? I'm not sure it will necessarily pivot. I mean, unfortunately, what you, or maybe not unfortunately, but what you tend to see in times of difficulty is that the weaker agencies fall away and the ones that either aren't particularly good at what they do or haven't built their business in a strong enough way to be resilient to what's going on, they will go and the strong agencies will get stronger. And, you know, there's no reason to think that the best agencies won't come out of this and move out the blocks really, really quickly. I think the strongest agencies that are out there, you know, they're not necessarily growing at the pace that they would hope to grow, but they've got themselves into a position where at the very worst, they're stable or growing moderately. Um, will they pivot? Yeah, I think they probably pivot in terms of the way that they operate and we've all had to learn to work remotely and we've all had to adapt our offering to you know this way of working which is different to how it's been previously and I would like to think that the best companies not just in PR but generally will take the learnings and the positives that have come out of this pandemic and adapt going forward it would be a great great shame to come out of this and then just fall back into the trap of working in the way that we used to and doing exactly the same things that we were doing this time a year ago or 18 months ago you'd like to think that if there is one positive from what's been going on in the world we'll learn and we'll adapt and when we do get back to some sense of normality hopefully working life will be better be more enjoyable have a better work life balance, be more used to, you know, for me personally, I think probably one of the greatest benefits, although I do miss it to some extent, is not traveling around every second of every day and jumping on planes for one day meetings or traveling up and down the country for an hour or two. You know, we realize that we don't necessarily need to do that as much and it makes you more efficient, more effective. As I say, there, there is an element where you know, I really, really miss that human interaction and physically seeing people. I mean, it's, it's hard, it's tough for everyone, but it does make you realise how much your time you wasted, really, and we're just inefficient and sort of not really even questioning why you were going to places and doing things that could just as easily be done on a video call or a phone call. What have you learned about yourself, Andrew, in this period? 
Um, I think a lot of people, I certainly, you know, we, we've just come to the end of 2020. I took a bit of time just to reflect on, you know, the good bits, but actually the good bits of 2020 and what I've taken from it rather than thinking about the negatives. Um, is there anything that you can think over this period that you that we sort of really learned about yourself? I mean, I'm never really one for self-reflection. I think, yeah, I'm naturally quite a positive person, not in an irritating way, hopefully, but I'm kind of always a bit more glass half full than, than empty. And I think that's been really, really important. Um, I think everyone's resilience has been tested to the max. And if anything, I guess it's taught me that, you know, I'm resilient to change. You know, I've all, I've, having sort of set something up from nothing during this period, it, it's shown me that, you know, there's never a bad time to try something new if you're good at what you do, if you work hard, if the luck sort of falls in your direction, you're always going to be successful. Um, I think it's also taught me, I, I guess, the importance of your network, your connections, you know, the, when you work in an industry like PR, and I think it's probably applicable to any industry, you know, it's the people around you and your network that are so important to moving forward, to driving new business, to creating opportunities. And I guess it's taught me that you can do that without necessarily being face to face and there's different ways to do things, but it's shown me the importance of having that network. It's definitely my network that's helped me build my business. And I think it's encouraged me in some ways with the time that I've got back from not traveling around and, and wasting hours, it's probably encouraged me to meet new people, you know, online network in a sort of virtual manner um, and I've actually met so many people in the last six months not obviously face to face but just online and, and that's been great and it's I, I think it's probably something I've always taken for granted a little bit and never really realized how important that is but even if you're not out there kind of mixing with people in the real world you still need to make time to meet new people have conversations I think I've also been probably a lot more open to just spending time having conversations, not necessarily knowing whether they're going to lead to anything, but just, you know, chatting to other business owners. And we've all, in the last year or so, I think become a lot more empathetic to other people's situations. And the, the kindness and the generosity of, of other people is something that I've seen... Yeah, maybe it's always been there and I've just taken it for granted. But I think because of what's going on, because I'm doing something new, I've noticed it more. So I don't know if that's answered your question. or if just It has, I think. It, I, I, well, I definitely agree. It's sort of, it, it's highlighted people's kindness and um, certainly in lockdown one, I felt a great sense of community. Uh, I think it might have waned a little bit more towards the end of the year, but there was definitely that sort of sense of kindness and community around. Um, talking about your network, Andrew, and again, you know, another thing that we couldn't not talk about in, in an interview with yourself is you are the PR and spoke, official spokesperson for Lord Sugar. Yes. 
tell me about that relationship and what it's like working with uh, Alan Sugar. Well, it's a relationship that goes back 20 or so years. So I've worked with him for a long time. Um, it started off when um, we won the business, um, the Amstrad business, which was his business that he owned at the time. He's since gone on to sell that business to Sky. And, um, at first, I didn't have too much to do with him. It was just promoting his products and, and what the company was doing. But I met him from time to time, and you know, we're doing press launches, media events, got to know him. And the relationship just sort of, I guess, grew gradually over time to the point where, you know, now I look after all of his personal affairs, all of his businesses. Um, when he started doing The Apprentice, um, I think it was 2005, um, 15 or so years ago, I took on the role of looking after the winners of The Apprentice. So whatever they might be doing, whatever business they were going to start, I would work with them and help them make that sort of transition from being a TV personality into a credible business person. Um, and now, you know, one of the things working with him is you kind of never know what's going to happen from one day to the next there's there's always new projects new things going on new opportunities um so it's never dull um and working with him um pretty much what you see is is what you get you know he's a very i mean he's a brilliant business person very very sharp um i guess like in any relationship you get to know someone really well so you know i know what makes him happy doesn't um and what, what's it like when, when he isn't happy <laughs> do you have clashes um we've, i mean we've never really had any major arguments or fallings out thankfully um i've obviously i've made mistakes um over the years not many but i remember those instances and i think you know with him he is really really fair um and it's so as long as you are open and you're honest with him you don't try and kind of bluff your way out of a situation or make excuses you know he's, he's very fair um and so yeah we've we've never really had had a falling out there's there's been times when you know things haven't gone to plan or whatever and i've I put my hands up and said look that could have been better or could have, could have done this and then it's done forgotten you know you obviously you're going to have those instances over the course of a 20-year period where not everything um is perfect but i think you know, the tenure speaks for itself right you've been there for 20 years so you're obviously doing something very right and so hopefully yes hopefully so but no i really enjoy working with him and he's a big inspiration to me personally you know not just in terms of everything he's achieved as a business person and the success that he's had in that field but also you know i think someone who you know is, is now of an age and financial security he absolutely doesn't need to work but he works because he loves it and it's his passion mm. and he also manages to balance in the most brilliant way his work life and his personal life and that's always something that i've really really admired with, with him you know he's the kind of person if i was to send an email he will absolutely be on it and reply to me within moments you know whether it's late at night early in the morning weekend but at the same time you know he's, he's got all the trappings that come with the success of someone 
like him, the homes around the world, the planes, the boats, the cars. He's a huge family man. And he somehow manages to balance everything and keep everyone happy. And for me, that's probably the most, I think, inspirational thing about working with him. Because for me, it's not something I've always got right. And I think when you are running a business and you're doing everything you can to drive your business forwards, sometimes you can be guilty of not having the right work-life balance, not spending enough time on the people who matter to you in, you know, in your personal life. So I definitely look up to him in, in that respect. And it's one of the major things that right. I take from him in terms of inspiration. That, that's fantastic. I guess, you know, some people watching this wouldn't think of Lord Sugar having this great work-life balance. I sort of, you know, the stereotype is he's, he's works, works, works. It's grind, 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 you know, hustle, 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 I guess. That's the stereotype he's given um, the, the media. So it's, it's great to hear that he has got a work-life balance. Um, I think particularly a lot of entrepreneurs now, um, you know, we've, we've gone from the age of, of hustle, hustle, hustle to, to stress and what it's done to our mental health. And then being forced into this situation of actually taking <laughs> things a lot slower. Uh, do you think the way, do, do you think this natural slowdown has, has helped um, in terms of people's mental health and stress when they're, they're starting new businesses and launching new services and products? See, I don't know if I agree with you that it's a slowdown. I mean, in, in some ways, I think physically, it's a slowdown. Mm. You know, I can have days where I literally walk from my bed to my office to my fridge, and that is about it multiple times. But yeah, multiple times. Multiple times to the fridge. Um, <laughs> actually, mentally, you know, one of the hardest things of, of working from home is the boundaries aren't there like they are when you're going to a workplace. So, I mean, even last night, I mean, it, it's just different types of days. You know, I had my son was with me yesterday so we spent sort of i mean he did a bit of school stuff i did a bit of meetings did a bit of playing Fortnite together had lunch together and then i dropped him back at his mum's sort of in the afternoon then i ended up working till sort of 10 11 at night which is not something i would normally have done this time a year ago um i guess it's a good thing um but you need to find the boundaries that you're not always on and you are making time for yourself and for other people and i'm not sure i've totally found the answer to that yet i mean everyone has their own ways of doing things i don't mind working in the evening if there's stuff to do um but i don't want to be working seven days a week you know all hours that god sends and i think you need to just have some sense of of discipline um, and you know look we're in an age where we're, we're never off and if it's you know just because I've shut my laptop for the day doesn't mean my phone doesn't ring or you're getting tweets or Instagram DMs or LinkedIn messages you know you're like bombarded from every direction you have to have that discipline to know when to turn off and switch off a little bit and I, I think what I've tried to teach myself is just because something comes to you in an instant doesn't mean you need to reply straight away. Perhaps this time a year ago, you know, if I'd have had an email or something that came through at eight o'clock at night, I'd have immediately replied to it. Now I've sort of, and it is forcing myself, it doesn't come naturally, but just having the discipline to 
leave it if you know assuming it's not urgent and just deal with it the next day you know it's, it's I think unfortunately people sort of in this world of, of urgency almost expect you to reply instantaneously and it's you know when you're getting a lot of messages it's not just that sort of one particular email but it's just you know look if I replied to everything instantly on the moment it arrived to me I, I would be working every hour of the day I would be working weekends so you have to just force yourself to, to have boundaries um, and, and but you know it's harder for some people than others I'm fortunate enough that at the very least I've got my own office in my house and you know I can at least shut the door on the office some people you know I saw someone put I think it was on Twitter the other day you know happy new year I've just opened my laptop on the same desk that I had Christmas dinner on last week and you know you just kind of it sort of hit a nerve a little bit you think I'm so fortunate that at least I've got the space in my house to have different areas that you can kind of and it looks beautiful actually that there's an, there's a couple of things that spring to mind when you were talking about that and I can I completely get what you say um from I'm personally quite a but I've got to do, do, do. And, and, and this has actually been quite hard for me um, in terms of this sort of poor slowdown. But you're also very creative and you must, how do you come up with your creative ideas if you're always do, do, do it? Do you take moments of relaxation? Is that, where, do you, where does your creativeness come from? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. I mean, I think... I've trained myself, I, I, I think I'm naturally pretty creative anyway. Um, over the years, I just have a sort of a way of, I guess, triggering creative thoughts. Um, you know, when, when we started Frank, we always believed in this ethos of talkability and that the best ideas were the ones that got people talking. And we identified that there were certain triggers that would lead to that talkability and whether it was sort of playing around with imagery and powerful images whether it was looking at the zeitgeist and what was happening in the world or more importantly you know what would be happening in six months whether it was looking at a category and how a category would normally do something and how you can disrupt that and there was all these sort of various triggers and i think my mind you know, I don't sit there and go through that process consciously, but it's just the way that my mind has almost been trained to operate. I'm, I'm not one of these people that has my ideas in the shower or on a beach or sitting on the toilet. For me, I have to be thinking about it. Um, and you and don't meditate. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of entrepreneurs that I speak to spend some relaxation time, meditate, or maybe not relaxation, but meditate and feel that that's where they get a lot of their creativeness. No, no I mean, I'm not knocking it. It probably works for, for some people. For me, work is work. So if I've got a creative problem, I will sit, I'll research stuff on the internet, I'll, you know, really consciously think about what I'm trying to achieve. And when I switch off, I switch off. I mean, it's actually, I'm not bad at switching off. You know, I haven't been on holiday for a long time, but when I do go on holiday, I'm not one of these people that plans the next five years, you know, reinvents my business. You know, I just, it's just what I'm going to have to eat for lunch and have you to You don't take your business books with you. 
ever. You know, I'm, I'm, and I'm quite good at that. And same at the weekends, you know, when I'm, you know, having downtime or in the evenings, you know, you know sometimes your work comes with you because you've had a stressful day and there's just stuff on your mind you can't sort of leave behind. But generally, when I'm down, I'm down. Um, so for me, creativity is, I have to be thinking about the problem in hand. And it's sometimes something that might take a few days. You don't necessarily crack a problem immediately, but I'll start on something, I'll make some notes some thoughts, I'll come back to it a day later, have another look at it. And generally, you know, within a few days, you know, come up with something that I think is, is the right idea. And of course, you know, not just on your own, there's, there's plenty of people that I'm fortunate enough to know and work with that I can bounce ideas off and, yeah, I think great creatives often work in pairs and they have sort of sparring partners. And they're not, sometimes that sparring partner for me is not necessarily even someone that is in the same industry as me. It's just someone that can critique something or ask you questions. And, you know, often the, the best creativity comes out of listening. And when a client has a problem, you know, they're, they're right, you're a brief often, but the often the answer to it is not in the brief, it's listening to them. And they'll say something when you speak to them that will trigger a thought. And quite often, you know, when, when I've got a challenge, I'll have a conversation with a client to talk it through and I'll ask them questions and I'll have an idea almost immediately based on just something they've said, just some nugget or a trigger that will lead to something else and then you kind of take that and you work on that and develop it but all good creatives you know will listen um it's you have to kind of listen to what the challenge really is um to answer it and into i mean you've, you've come up with some amazing creative campaigns if you think back to some of to your say i don't know if you've got one that you consider your greatest creative campaign versus your most successful campaign in terms of um, ROI. Can you give me examples of those or what, what sort of sticks out in your head as one of the... I mean, it's so difficult because over the years, there have been so many. Um, I think, I mean, probably one of my favorites, just because it ticked so many boxes, um, was the work that we did for Compare the Meerkats, or Compare the Markets. Um, and, you know, if you go back to the period where the Meerkats emerged, actually kind of pre that, there was a company that was really struggling and Compare the Market you know, didn't have any differentiation. They needed to build themselves online to advertise online and to buy keywords on Google was extremely expensive because everyone was competing against the same words and it just wasn't efficient to them as a business. They couldn't afford to buy the search terms. And without going into too many details, I remember a meeting with the managing director and myself and the ad agency, and it was pretty make or break. The ads weren't working, the PR wasn't working, and she turned to us and sort of said, look, we've probably got three months to turn this around or we might need to pull the plug on this business it's losing money and so wow. the, the idea of the meerkat wasn't my idea um i wish it was um but it came from the ad agency and 
legend has it actually came from two guys doing work experience that sort of came up with it in the pub one night and took it back to the account director and said we've had this idea around you know market sounds a bit like meerkat what if we create this campaign about a fictional meerkat who gets really pissed off because people keep confusing him with a car insurance comparison site and they built this concept around this character alexander the meerkat and our role as a PR agency was to make this meerkat famous. And, you know, an ad can only do so much. And it did a great job in terms of building awareness. But the role of PR was to make this meerkat famous. And the strategy that we took was, let's do kind of a series of firsts, things that no fictional character has ever done before. And we got his catchphrase simples put into the Oxford English Dictionary, it became word of the year. We, um, he became the first ever character to have an at-home feature in OK Magazine. He was the first ever character to um, have his own podcast way before podcasts were popular. And oh my he gosh, is, he's got his own podcast. <laughs> he has, I mean, he only did a few. He did one with Piers Morgan. He did a very memorable one with David Hasselhoff. Um, which I don't know whether you'd even be able to find it online now, but it was, it was hilarious. Um, and then we came up with this, this idea of a toy and let's create a toy for him. And we approached London Zoo and we launched the meerkat in your meerkat enclosure and any proceeds that we make from the sale of these toys would give to, to ZSL and, and to the zoo. They said yes. We approached Harrods and said, you know, can we sell them exclusively in Harrods? They said yes. And they were so popular. They were trading on eBay for like hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And actually the very, very last meerkat, we only made about 500 of them. Um, Mohammed Al-Fayed auctioned live from the sort of main hall in Harrods for charity. And that became part of their strategy. They saw how popular it was and they decided that they would then give away a meerkat with every single policy that they sold. And unfortunately, I never took royalties on the sales of the meerkats. Yeah. Um, and you know, look, this, this character went on to you know, be so popular on Twitter. And you know, since, since then, it's just evolved and, and evolved. And Alexander the meerkat is pretty much a household name. But the reason why I like that campaign, I think, is not just because of the creativity behind it, which there was, was lots but was in terms of the business impact. And not only did it save the business, but compare the market has gone on to yeah, really. huge, huge success. Because now people type in compare the meerkat as opposed to search best price comparison site on Google. So it was a really creative solution to you know, quite a difficult business problem. Um, so that's one campaign. I mean, there, there's been lots over the years I could talk for hours and hours. Different and look, that's a big company, but how would you advise um, a, a small business, maybe that's just about to launch something uh, and they don't have the money to go to a PR agency? Is there something that you would say, well, okay, if you've got this tiny budget, this is what you should spend on PR, best bang for your buck? I mean, creativity doesn't cost anything and ideas don't need to be big and expensive. Um, in today's world, it's not hard to find an audience and you can buy an audience 
pretty cost effectively and, and cheaply using social media and your own direct channels. What's hard is to create attention. And to create attention, you have to be focused on saying something interesting. What do people want to hear about? And lots of companies, you know, small or big, can be pretty introspective about themselves. And I'll always say to a company, you know, don't try and say everything. Try and find the one key thing that your audience is going to be um, receptive to. And then find a way to communicate that in an interesting way. And, you know, it doesn't matter that you haven't got budget. Um, if you create something interesting and you create talkability and, and word of mouth, and ultimately, you know, getting people talking about your brand is always going to be the best form of endorsement. So come up with something that is going to achieve that. Um, and, and actually, you know, what I love doing is, is working with small companies. It's great to work with big companies and big budgets, but there's actually nothing better than working with entrepreneurs that have something small and new and don't have all the resources of a Coca-Cola and McDonald's. Um, they just sort of start from scratch and build small and grow. Well, that leads me nicely on to my next question, which is, so what are you doing now? I believe you've turned a lot of your focus into to giving back. Well, I use that term, but, but helping um, young entrepreneurs with their own business. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so since sort of stepping back day to day from Frank, I, I guess I've, I've split my focus into three areas. So the first area is advisory work. And I sit on um, the boards of several companies, mainly in the tech space, and I advise them on all elements of their, their company, not just PR, but broader in terms of marketing, sales, positioning. Um, I've also been doing quite a lot of work in the M&A space. Um, so working on mergers and acquisitions in the creative services industry. So either helping the big management consultancies and holding groups to find companies that they want to acquire with a specific skill set or helping agencies sell to the right buyer. Um, and then the second area is consultancy. So helping brands find the right agencies to fulfill their marketing needs. Um, and sometimes I just sort of put them in touch with the right people. Other times I stay involved and, and lead a campaign. Helping agencies in the communication space build their businesses, win new clients, achieve growth. And then also working with talent and helping link brands and talent together. Um, helping celebrities find endorsements, sponsorships, helping brands find the right celebrities to endorse their products. So that's the sort of second area. And then the final area is, as you saw, is giving back. Um, so I've been doing um, as much as I can really to help and mentor young people. Um, one of the first things I did when I stepped back from Frank was join the Prince's Trust. Um, and I sit on their business launch group panel, um, which listens to the business plans of, of young entrepreneurs um, and helps advise the Prince's Trust on 
how viable they are as businesses and whether they should fund them, help the young people with mentorship and to develop. So that's been really, really fulfilling and rewarding. There's a few things that I've, I've been doing for a while and have continued to do. So I act as a mentor for the School of Communication Arts, which is the most awarded ad school in the world and help their students um, come up with fresh ideas, different ways of thinking. It's an ad school that um, is very, very modern, very, very inclusive in terms of the people that are on the course. Um, and they rely on people like me that have the experience within the industry to really give these students a bit of a head start and an insight into, way that, into the ways that brands and companies think. And then I've been helping various different charities with campaigns that they've been doing. So I've just recently finished a really nice campaign for Future Dreams, which is a breast cancer charity. And we created a campaign for them, which was called Let's Nail Breast Cancer. And this was something that they'd done for a few years and it needed a bit of a twist. So we decided that rather than focus on women, we would focus on men and we'd encourage men to paint their nails pink to raise awareness for breast cancer during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I got um, Ronnie O'Sullivan, who is a friend of mine, snooker player, managed to persuade him to paint his nails pink to play in the English Open. And it generated you know, tons and tons of media coverage um, because no one could help but ask him why his nails were painted pink. Um, but more importantly, generated a, you know, a ton of donations for the charity, which was great. And then I've just been working with Tide Bank, um, still working with Tide Bank on a coronavirus fund that they've set up and a charity which um, funds small businesses that have really been struggling during the last six months or so and just need some cash to help them through and to help them to survive. So um, I work with them to bring on board the Daily Mail as a media partner to bring on board the Federation of Small Businesses to help support and raise awareness for the campaign. And I brought on board Karen Brady to act as a spokesperson and an ambassador for the charity. And that launched um, the late part of, of last year and mm. you know, has already donated lots and lots of money to lots of small businesses and is continuing to generate funds that can continue to do that. So it's been nice to add, I guess that, doing good bits to the mix. You know, as much as I love promoting sort of fun, stupid things, it's, it's also nice to make a little bit of a difference where you can to use your experience and your contacts to bring people together to try and make a difference in a positive way, if, if you can. Absolutely, and I think, um, I think this time has made us see that even more than ever, you know, it's not about necessarily the materialism. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying money isn't everything, well, isn't everything, uh, but, but the contribution goes such a, such a, it gives you a sense of fulfillment, I think, more than money ever can. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that's really important to me personally, and I, you know, I'm not old enough to forget how difficult it is when you're starting out and you need help and you need advice and you don't have that broad network and the contacts. And, you know, I was fortunate enough. I mean, honestly, I just think I was in the right place at the right time and got a bit lucky. Um, but I'll never forget 
the people that were kind to me and generous to me on my way up. And I've always tried to be there as much as I can for people that are starting their careers, just need a bit of guidance, some tips, some advice. And, you know, if I can give back in that way, for me, that would be the sort of, I guess the best legacy I could achieve in the industry is helping others and seeing them develop and thrive and build great careers and businesses of, of their own. For me, that gives me a lot of satisfaction. So, talking of legacies, what, what does the future hold? Um, have you thought, or I could say 2021, and maybe not the next three months, but a bit further ahead? What, what do you see yourself, or where do you see yourself going? Do you know what? I, rightly or wrongly, I've never been one for, for long-term planning. Um, I mean, it's probably a little bit more than taking every day as it comes, but for me, my benchmark is, am I enjoying myself? and enjoying what I'm doing and I've never I've been very very lucky that I don't think I've ever really felt miserable doing what I do for you know yeah we all have shitty days like I'd be lying if, if I didn't but on the whole I, I absolutely love what I do and honestly as long as that continues and I still have that feeling then I don't really care um, sure, there's a financial aspect, but I'm fortunate enough that you know I don't have to worry sort of day to day about the financial side of things. So for me, what's more important is just enjoying what I'm doing and feeling like I'm making a difference, and um, you know, not necessarily bouncing out of bed, but certainly not having that sort of Monday morning dread. Um, and as long as that continues, you know, I'm sure what I've seen in the last six months is how quickly you can build something new and all the stuff that I just talked to you about, you didn't exist this time last year. And if that's what can happen in six months, you know, who knows where the next six months will go. But I want to, you know, continue to do a good job for my clients to work with new ones. Um, but yeah, most importantly, just enjoy it. And, and whatever shape or form or direction that will take, I don't know and I don't really care. Andrew, I think those are great words, enjoying what you do. Where can people find out more about you? Um, they can, um, my LinkedIn, which is just Andrew Block. They can go on my Twitter, also Andrew Block. Um, if you want to see a few pictures of cars and my kids, you can go on my Instagram, which is Blockstagram. Um, yeah, don't bother going on um, Snapchat or TikTok because you won't find anything of much value there. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pretty easy to find. Or just pick up the phone or send me an email, ab at andrewblock.co.uk. Well, Andrew, and I've come to my last question. I really enjoyed this. But if you were to write a message in the bottle, for future generations to find, what would that message be? Wow, congratulations, you've made it. Um, I love it, that's a great answer. <laughs> I think my message would probably be, to, to paraphrase Nike, no, just do it. Andrew, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. It's been a pleasure having you. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday, so hit subscribe and like and you'll get it straight into your inbox.